Well, good morning, church. Isn't that great to know that we can be children of the Most High God? Father, we love you so much. And God, we are free in you. We're your kids. And how refreshing it is to sit back and watch. Lord, I, I, I'm just so excited to see what you're doing. But God, this is yours. This church is yours. I am yours. This word is yours. This property is yours. And so, Father, if you want to do something, help us to hide and watch. And when we're to move, tell us to move. And when we're to stay still, tell us to stay still. Sometimes, God, your sheep can be dumb. And, Lord, we don't want to be dumb. We want to be in lockstep with you. We want to hear from you. We want to serve you. We don't want to get ahead of you. We don't want to lag behind. So, God, we're asking for your favor and your wisdom and your knowledge and your spirit to guide and direct. And now this morning, Lord, as we open up your word, we're praying, Holy Spirit, to be our teacher and our guide, that, Lord, you would speak, our hearts would listen, and we'd want to follow the Good Shepherd, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and we're so thankful to be yours. So we worship you now, we thank you, and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I got a question for you. Have you ever witnessed a good thing used in a bad way? You ever witnessed that? I want you to take, for instance, perfume. Perfume, used in a good way, what a blessing, right? I mean, the aroma and how sweet it is. But then think about somebody who walks into the room with an obnoxious amount of perfume on. Almost instantly it becomes unbearable and you're thinking, oh my goodness, you know, a little bit of that goes a long way. <laughs> Think about Christian liberties for just a minute. Christian liberties, right? We're told that as Christ followers, Jesus came to give us freedom. Jesus came to give us all this freedom and the abundant life and that we no longer have to follow rules and regulations in order to find God's heart. The Apostle Paul said it this way in Galatians 5.1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Now, Christian liberties can be from freedom from the penalty of sin. It can be freedom from the Mosaic law and freedom to do activities that are not specifically forbidden within Scripture. Freedom within worship. So many freedoms. Every world religion tries to appease their God with a list of do's and don'ts through self-effort. These rules may include, see if these ring a bell, types of clothing we can wear, makeup, jewelry, tattoos, smoking, drinking, gambling, dancing, viewing certain movies. I don't smoke, I don't chew, I don't date girls who do. But faith in Christ grants us freedom, not a new set of rules. And for all you legalists in the room, hang on. However, Christian liberty can become, catch this, idolatry if we insist on exercising our liberties, even if it offends other believers. Keep that in the back of your mind as you open your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians Chapter 8, as we continue in that verse-by-verse -verse study. Today, God willing, we're actually going to get through a whole chapter. But last time, remember what Paul said, that Christians need to live as if the Lord's return was imminent. It can happen at any moment. 
And because time is short, we don't plant deep roots here on earth. We plant deep roots in Christ. As we put Jesus in his rightful place in our lives, he promises to take care of all our needs for today so we can live full on for him. Then remember Paul spoke to this father who had a daughter. He was denying her to get married even though she didn't have the gift of celibacy. Then Paul talked about widows, how they can remarry, but only somebody who is in the Lord, someone who's a believer in Jesus Christ. But other than marriage and remarriage, the most important topic of last week was live like time is short. 1 Corinthians 7, 29, this I say, brethren, time is short. So knowing time is short, we lean into the Lord more and more, and it enables us to share our faith in Christ. And remember, here's how I ended last week, and, and it bears repeating, that there are some things that we can do here that we cannot do one minute after we get to heaven. We can bring comfort to the discouraged. We can feed the hungry. We can share the gospel. And these things will be impossible to do one minute after we get to heaven. And so this morning, the Apostle Paul is going to deal with the issue of not causing other Christians to stumble while exercising our Christian liberties. So if you have your sermon notes there in your bulletin, Roman numeral one, love is greater than knowledge. Love is greater than knowledge. If your Bibles are open, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, let's begin with verse 1. The Apostle Paul says, Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing, yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. So you got to remember what's going on here. Paul is answering another specific question that someone in the church at Corinth asked him. And here was the question from the church member. Can we eat meat that has been sacrificed to idols? Because we know that idols mean nothing. So can we eat that meat? We know the Lord. So Paul's going to speak about this offering of meat to idols. And we'll get into that in the next point. But first notice Paul says... We know that we all have knowledge. We all have knowledge. Remember back when we studied 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, verse 4 said, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge. We learned that we were all created with specific gifts and talents and purposes and abilities that we are to use to edify the body of Christ. And, and so Paul said, these followers were gifted and enriched through Christ with all utterance and knowledge. The word knowledge here means a moral wisdom, a deeper understanding of the things of God. Catch this, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Knowledge alone will lead to pride, a lack of consideration, and to exploitation. There in your notes. Every believer in Christ is given some knowledge, but true Christianity is founded on love revealed through knowledge. Listen to what David Guzik said about this passage. 
He said, both knowledge and love have an effect on our lives, and each of them makes something grow. The difference between puffs up and edifies is striking. It's the difference between a bubble and a building. Some Christians grow while other Christians swell. One sign of Christianity, obviously, a mature Christian is able to speak the truth in love. That's a sign of a mature Christian. Ephesians 4.15, Paul said, Speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into the head, Christ. It's been said that truth without love is brutality. But love without truth is hypocrisy. Proverbs 27.6, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. I have no problem speaking the truth at all. If you know me at all, and you ever come and ask my opinion, you're going to get the truth. Where I struggle is in love. Sometimes I get ahead of myself and I don't think, and I am brutal with my honesty, and that's not okay. But the mark of maturity is that able to speak that truth in love. And you see, some in Corinth had this knowledge. They had great knowledge. I mean, they were learned people. Think about the Greeks, how much knowledge they had. But instead of building up weaker saints with this knowledge, they were puffing themselves up. See how smart I am? Maybe you remember back when we were in 1 Peter, and we talked about Gnosticism, which is that heretical teaching, right, that there's some secret knowledge they had of Scripture that other people didn't. And some Gnostics in Peter's day were devising this new theology that somehow Jesus wasn't Messiah. So Peter informed his readers, listen, no single person, no individual has private knowledge of God's Word. There in your notes, when an immature believer has knowledge, they will promote self while tearing others down. When a mature believer has spiritual knowledge, they will use it properly to love others. You see, some people want to have knowledge to love one another, to, to, to reach them with the gospel and love one another, but some people want to have knowledge just for the sake of showing that they're the smartest person in the room. When I was younger, I had to be the smartest guy in the room, and you know, at least I wanted to appear to be the smartest guy in the room. Now that I'm older, if you're smarter than me in the room, you're going to see me quiet down. I won't say a word, and you, can, you get to be the smartest guy in the room. Some people want to use knowledge to show off how smart they really are. I know something that you don't. This is what Warren Wiersbe said. When spiritual knowledge is used in love, the stronger Christian can take the hand of the weaker Christian and help them to stand and enjoy the freedoms in Christ. Knowledge must be mixed with love. Otherwise, the saints will end up with big heads instead of enlarged hearts. Knowledge without love leads to intellectual pride. But knowledge with love leads to humility and a sense of commitment to the other person. And then notice what he says in verse 3, but if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. When we get to chapter 13, we're going to talk a little bit about love. If you've ever been to a Christian wedding, you've probably heard 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But let's just 
look at a couple of verses real quick. 1 Corinthians 13.1. The Apostle Paul says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits nothing. So love, and then number, Roman number, numeral two, sacrifice food. Look at verse four with me. Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there's no other God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we live. So when you come to 2022 and you think about things offered to idols, meat sacrificed to idols, it's really not that relevant for us today as it was there. But this does, this teaching does apply to so many areas in life, so don't just like tune out because, Rich, we don't go buy meat that was sacrificed to idols. And so Paul starts by saying, look, these idols are absolutely nothing. They're powerless. They're nothing. They're just a piece of carved wood. They have no power. Adam Clark said, There are many images that are supposed to be representation of divinities, but these divinities are nothing. They're figments of mere fancy, and these images have no corresponding reality. They're nothing. This has always been a funny passage to me. In, in Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah said this in Isaiah 44, 14. He, the craftsman, cuts down the cedar for himself and takes the cypress and the oak. He secures it for himself among the trees of the forest. He plants a pine and the rain nourishes it. Then it shall be for a man to burn, for he will take some of it and warm himself. Yes, he kindles it and bakes bread. Indeed, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it into a carved image and falls down to it. He burns half of it with the fire, and with this half, he eats meat. He roasts a roast and is satisfied. He even warms himself and says, Aha, I am warm. I have seen fire. There in your notes. And the rest of it he makes into a god. He carved image. He falls down before it and worships it, prays to it and says, Deliver me for you are my god. Think about how stupid this is. <laughs> you cut down the tree. You did it. And with half you warmed yourself and cooked, and the other half you make this little carved image and say, you are my God, and I shall worship you. You shall make this happen. I'm going to offer you tangerines and money, and I am going to walk by and stop and in awe of you every day. My gosh. I mean, how far does your depravity have to go to worship an idol? Another message for another day. But in the ancient cultures, they had a God to almost everything. If you remember the Apostle Paul in Acts 17, he comes upon this temple and there's a God to everything. And then he finds a God to the unknown God. And that's what he preaches on, right? 
But the Greek word God here in 1 Corinthians 8, 6 is the word theos. Theos. Go look it up. It's Strong's G2316, which is translated as Godhead, Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So when he's talking about God in verse 6, it's the triune Godhead. Leon Morris said this about one Lord in 1 Corinthians 8, 6. The really significant background of Lord is its use from the Greek translation of the Old Testament, render divine name Yahweh. In verse 6, Paul is saying Yahweh, the term for deity. And then notice verse 6, it says, through whom are all things and through whom we live. Paul said in Colossians 1.15, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, whether visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. Verse 17, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist, or all things are held together by Jesus. There in your notes, notice Paul says, in Christ we live. Jesus is not only the creator and giver of life, without him there is no real life. So these Christians were thinking, so we know that, Paul. We got it. We understand that. So what's the big deal? Give me the steak that was offered to that stupid piece of wood, and boy, howdy, I'm going to barbecue it. In fact, I'll throw the idol in the fire, and then I'll cook my steak. So Roman numeral three, different knowledge. Look at verse seven. However, there is not in everyone that knowledge. For some, with consciousness of the idol, until now eat it as a thing offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. But food does not commend us to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we do not eat are we the worse. So in Corinth, there are actually two sources of meat, and this is why I said it's not really relevant to us in Klamath Falls today. But you could go to the meat market and spend a lot more money on a steak than if you go to the temple and buy that same steak that was used to sacrifice to the idol. So you'd say, hey, I'm a Christian, I have freedom to eat that meat, I'm going to save 30% and go get my T-bone from the, from the temple. Who cares? And so there were these Christians who felt total freedom to go and eat this meat because it meant nothing to them. They're just powerless superstitions. Why would I worry about it? But some Christians didn't have that knowledge. And they actually attributed some kind of weird power to these evil forces in the idol. And they thought, how could a good Christian eat meat that was sacrificed to the devil? And that's what they thought. The Puritan writer William Grinnell said this, Conscience may be defined as that divine influence at work in man to restrain him from sin. God uses our conscience to give some knowledge of righteousness to all so that no one can stand before him on the day of judgment and plead ignorance. But when you become a Christian and consecrate yourself, conscience and all, the Holy Spirit begins to perfect you in Christ. 
So there were some Christians who didn't realize that this food was okay to eat and, and that idols somehow meant something. And so you have these guys who know that idols don't mean anything and they're eating meat and they're causing these other guys to stumble. There in your notes. There are some freedoms mature Christians take for granted, which may be shocking to others who do not realize what Scripture teaches on those subjects. So there are some things that are not harmful that some people see as sin and some people don't. And we're not going to get into specific things, but the whole idea is why? Why do we partake of those things? And how do I have the freedom? We have to be careful that the weaker brother's experience with God is not shaken because I have the freedom to do all things, right? I have the freedom to wear a tank top while I preach. I mean, really, and who's, you know, that's going to cause people to stumble. So, again, okay, class, enough of you. And let's continue. <laughs> Edit that out, please. <laughs> so David Guzik asked the question, why is their conscience weak? Why is it weak? And he said, it's not because their conscience didn't work. Indeed, it overworks. It overworks. There in your notes. Their conscience is considered weak because it is wrongfully informed. Their conscience is operating on the idea that there really is something to an idol. In other words, you know, it's, again, the person that sees the devil in the Cheerios, right? I mean, my Cheerios floated around and it made this 666 in my Cheerios. Strong's Concordance says that the conscience is the soul of distinguishing between morally good and bad, prompting to do the former and shun the latter. You see, conscience is not law. You got to understand that conscience is not law. What it does is it confirms God's law within us. And it usually depends upon knowledge. Again, verse 8. But food does not commend us to God. For neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we do not eat are we the worse. And you got to understand, this, this teaching was probably so radical for some of these Gentiles who became Christians because they're thinking, I want to honor the Lord with all that I do, and eating this meat doesn't seem like it honors the Lord. And so it was so radical that Paul would come and say, it means nothing. It means nothing. Go enjoy the steak. But how much more radical was it for these completed Jews? The Jews that somehow thought that they still had to live under the Mosaic Law, and all of a sudden they're being taught Hey, go eat that meat. What radical teaching. And before the uh, Jerusalem Council there in Acts 15, most converted Jews thought that they were still under the Mosaic Law. And so they just get past that. And now Paul's saying, no matter what you eat, listen, if you eat it, doesn't make you holier. If you don't eat it, it doesn't make you worse. Eat whatever. It doesn't matter. There in your notes, arguments over certain Christian liberties where one stance is argued to be evidence of greater or lesser spirituality are the modern equivalent of abstaining from meat sacrifice to idols. So, I mean, we, we can name a bunch, but let's just name tattoos. Here, I'm going to start a fight. 
When I was a youth pastor, I had parents come, sit down little Johnny in the seat and say, now you tell Johnny not to get a tattoo because the Old Testament says that that's of the devil. And of course, I lost favor with them when I said, that's not what that means. Read it in context. Now, I will say we should ask ourselves why we intend to scar our body, why we intend to do all these things. But as I told mom that that's not what that meant for little Johnny, she was very upset with me. So that's one example. Roman numeral four, let's move on quickly before someone throws tomatoes. A stumbling block, look at verse nine. But beware, lest somehow this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat again, lest I make my brother stumble. There it is. So it starts out with beware, lest this liberty becomes a stumbling block. This seems to indicate that there are some Christians who have more grace, more knowledge of the grace, and some who just don't see that as a liberty. On one hand, it would appear that the brother who has the freedom to do it is more mature. But if that person then knows he's stumbling someone and continues to do it, are they really the mature person? No, they're not. When I was younger in Christ, because of my background, my family's background, my personal background, I was very judgmental and legalistic when it came to a lot of things, and especially alcohol. I was very, very judgmental. Ephesians 5.18, Paul says, And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation. More rigid Christians would say that any amount of alcohol, consuming any amount of alcohol, is wrong. Then there are those Christians who go way too far with Christian liberties, and they dance on that line of being drunk. And you go, well, where is the right answer? There's a twofold admonition in Ephesians 5.18. Do not be drunk. In other words, do not be controlled. There it is. Do not be controlled by alcohol, but be controlled by the Holy Spirit. It's a command to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Nowhere in Scripture is there a complete prohibition on consumption of alcohol. But what does controlled mean? When, when Paul says, do not be drunk with wine, do not be controlled by wine. Again, Paul said in Romans 14, 12, it is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. There in your notes, if your Christian liberties cause someone else to stumble, you are not seeking other people's well-being. So how much can I drink, Rich? Here we go. Ready? Everybody's like, I can't wait to hear what you have to say. <laughs> How impaired can I be without sinning? Mm. 
Here's how I understand it. If you have any change of personality because of consumption of alcohol, you've gone too far. You see, the old person is consumed by the world. In Christ, we're to be consumed with the Holy Spirit, or to be controlled by, be filled with. It's a command. And by the way, in the original, in Ephesians chapter 5, it means to moment by moment, continually be filled. Yes, we were filled with the Holy Spirit, the moment of salvation, yes. But we continue to submit and surrender and be filled, be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Now, all that being said, so then can I never have a Dos Equis with a burrito? I think you need to speak to the Lord about that. Personally, I don't drink whatsoever. I don't tempt fate. I know my family history. I'm not going there. I don't even have the desire to go there. But people have a drink, a glass of wine around me all the time. It doesn't stumble me whatsoever. So if I know that it stumbles somebody, give it up. Maybe, maybe all the sweets I eat stumble you. Maybe you're on a diet and I'm just enjoying that big chocolate donut. <laughs> if I know you're on a diet and I love and care about you, put the donut down, right? So I don't have to live my life based on what you're convicted of, but if I know, then I should. There's gray areas in the Bible, right? And you'd say, well... It doesn't specifically say this, it says that there are these gray areas, and that's where our conscience and the Holy Spirit come into it, right? So I'm driving, and here's one that's going to hurt, but all of a sudden I get a text from somebody at church that needs an answer right now. Anybody sees me replying to that text is going to be, that pastor breaks the law. Can you do that? There's police officers in the room, so I'd say, absolutely not. <laughs> but we got to be careful about other people's relationship with the Lord. If we know it stumbles them, stop doing it. By refraining from certain activities, big deal. If I cause someone else to sin with my activities, how much do I truly love them? Romans 14, 22. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. There in your notes. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. Catch this. For whatever is not from faith is sin. Let me explain that to you. Because I've had this twisted and used out of context a couple of times in my career what does that mean, that whatever is not from faith is sin? Well, this is what it means. Faith means taking God at his word, right? Can we go that far? Faith means trust. Full trust, full weight. Everything I have believes in everything he's done for me. That's faith. So whatever's not done from faith is sin. So here it is. Can you look Jesus eyeball to eyeball and say, God, I know that there's not a prohibition of this in Scripture and that you've given me the freedom to do this. And if you say, well, I don't want God to know everything I do. <laughs> You're in trouble because 
We all lay naked and unashamed before the Lord, right? Uh, Hebrews 4 tells us that he sees everything. Everything. And, and so if you can't take Jesus to that movie, don't go. <laughs> because do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's in you? You are taking Jesus to that movie. Well, I can't take Jesus to that place. Well, then you shouldn't be there. But all this is done because of love, right? It's not legalistic. It's because of love. We love Christ first, and then because we love Jesus, we love others. And so if I know it causes you to stumble for me to eat pork, I'll wait till you're gone, and then I'll have that BLT. <laughs> First Peter 4, 7, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Jesus very clearly told us to love others more than we love ourselves. Jesus very clearly says, lay down your lives for others and die to your own preferences. And so love for my brothers and sisters should guide my liberties. If I have a certain freedom, I give it up if I'm going to cause you to stumble. There in your notes, love always triumphs over liberty. And unity among Christians always triumphs over a Christian's personal rights. If I insist on my rights, even if it causes you to sin, that's not the love of Christ. We're to enjoy whatever that the Bible doesn't absolutely forbid, but we need to weigh it by care and love for the brethren. And if our freedom causes someone else to sin, give it up. So let's get practical this morning. Like I said, every world religion that there is tries to appease their God or earn their God's favor by a bunch of do's and don'ts through self-effort. Again, clothing or jewelry or tattoos or smoking or drinking or gambling or dancing, all these things. But in Christ, he didn't give us a new set of rules. But he did give us a conscience and he did give us the Holy Spirit. And so for testing all things... And holding fast to that which is true, when the Holy Spirit speaks, we react. Christian liberties become idolatry when we know we're stumbling someone else and we just don't care. And, and so as we face decisions, there are short-term and long-term consequences to every decision we make in life. Right? And Scripture's very clear on a lot of choices. Well, I have the freedom to do this. Well, wait a minute. Scripture says this. And then other things are gray areas. And so what's needed in a Christian life to make these decisions? Here they are. Pray. Seek God's will through prayer. Bible study to hear God's voice. And surrendering to our counselor, the Holy Spirit, and asking him what he would have us do. So I want to give you three practical questions you can ask yourself about your liberties. Ready? Here you go. Number one. Will my choice to engage in this activity cause my brother or sister to stumble? Will I knowingly cause someone to stumble? Now, if you don't knowingly do it, I can't help if I'm doing something and you happen to see me do it. If it's okay with Scripture and it stumbles you, come tell me. And I won't do it in front of you next time. Number two, will my choice to engage in this activity strengthen my own life? Or will it attack my conscience? 
right? God didn't come to attack your conscience. He came to give you peace. And so if something's attacking your conscience, ask why. See, the accuser of the brethren will always accuse and attack. And you've got to learn the difference between when Satan is attacking you or the Holy Spirit is coming after your conscience. Learn that difference. It's important. Number three, will my choice to engage in this activity ultimately glorify Christ? There in your notes, if I have a freedom in Christ that stumbles another Christian, then I should cheerfully, and here's the tough part, cheerfully give up my freedom when I'm with the weaker Christian. Cheerfully. If I insist on my rights, that's not the love of Christ. Love always triumphs liberties. Always. Unity in the, for the Christ followers always is more important than my personal rights. And we should be concerned with Christian love over my liberties any day of the week. I love that Christ came to set me free. I don't have this great big list of do's and don'ts, and I don't have to get up and go, I wonder if God accepts me this morning. If I'm a Christ follower, I'm accepted. If I'm a Christ follower, I'm redeemed. I'm holy. I'm above reproach. I'm all those things because Christ lives in me. Now, practically, what's more important? What is more important? My right. I have rights. Die to those rights. Die to those rights. Jesus came to set you free, and now you use that freedom to tell others about Jesus Christ. And if it causes someone else to stumble, hey, give it up. They're not going to be with you 24-7. And as long as it doesn't go against Scripture, okay, you think you've got the freedom to do it? Great. Ask the Lord. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up, and every week we have prayer partners in the back who'd love to pray with you. And, you know, we live in a world where there's so much addiction and alcoholism and, and sex addiction and all these other things. And so people hear a message like this, and some people walk out and they feel so condemned. And then other people walk out and they're like, that guy should have been here to hear that message, right? <laughs> Can I just tell you that, again, you need to learn the difference between when the accuser of the brethren is coming to condemn you versus the Holy Spirit going against your conscience to try and grow you up. You see, God won't condemn you. You've got to understand that. If you're being condemned, it's not from the Lord. But if you're being prompted to make a change in your life and, and take a stand for Jesus Christ, today's a great day to do that. He loves you, and He wants what's best for you, and He's trying to grow you up. And again, everything we do ought to be done by the love of Christ. And so if I cause someone else to stumble, I give those things up because that's more important to me than my personal rights. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much, and God, we just thank you. Lord, I thank you that you're not out to condemn us, to harm us, to ruin us. You have plans for us. You love us. You've bought us back. You wouldn't have bought us back to throw us off the cliff, Lord. So, God, if we're condemned because of past sin and we're your child, help us to leave that thing behind and press on towards the goal of Christ. But, Father, if you are trying to get us, whether it's gossip or, or whether it's drinking too much or whether it's something we've done or whatever, Father, if you're just convicting our conscience, help us, Lord, to lay that stuff down at the cross. Accept your grace, forgiveness, and mercy and move on. 
And Lord, help us to ever be mindful of our brothers and sisters. If we cause a weaker brother to sin because of our freedoms, God, help us to cheerfully lay that stuff down. Lord, we want to further your kingdom, not wreck it. So God, use us. We thank you so much for all you're doing. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the freedom you've given us in Christ. We love you so much. and We praise you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope that you are blessed. If you'd like to find out more info about our church or any other resources like sermon notes or things like that, you can check out our website at livingfaithclamath.com. Make sure if you haven't already to subscribe or like us on whatever your favorite podcast app is. You'll find us at Living Faith Fellowship Klamath Falls. Again, be blessed. Be blessed.